Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I guess you are a grandparent at this point. That's the. If you know, I had taken the nap on my own bed, I don't think this would have happened. But maybe, I don't know. Anyway, do I need to go in a home? I think you're already there. <laughs> Nigel, what do you think? Sean, what do you think? I was utterly disoriented. I thought I had, I I think, had blown the deadline. I agree with you. If you'd been on your bed, I think you would have woken up and been like, oh, yeah, I know what day. I think think you're going to go out this afternoon and try and get another job because you think I'm done. (laughs) This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. I made sure not to take a nap on the couch yesterday. I'm good. I'm good. You got to confront your fears. I know what I'm doing. Um, Can I just, before we get into the show, can I just thank uh, Sean Gordon? Of Philly Pretzel Factory, um, those pretzels were great. Now, Nigel, yes. Michael, you've you've had them as well. Oh yeah, they were great. Did they remind you of of Philadelphia and and Penn when you ate those pretzels outside all the time? Because that's what people eat there. It just reminded me of a good pretzel. I mean, there's there are cities that around the country that are known for pretzels, and this was it was nostalgic in that I I just felt the joy of eating a pretzel. When I was a kid and went to Philadelphia for the first time when I was in high school and saw these thick pretzels, and I'd seen thick pretzels like that in New York. In New York, they used to have them, you know, the guy would have a stand on the corner and he'd be roasting chestnuts and he'd be roasting pretzels. And I ate them and they were great. But Philadelphia was the first time I saw people put mustard on them. That is, I think, unique to Philadelphia. And this is the shaping of this pretzel. Yeah, yeah. And so I, and they're... They're softer in the middle than the New York pretzels because the New York pretzels have been out in the cold, you know, for a long time. And it's like, you got to watch your teeth when you buy it. Did you ever make it to Macy's that year? I always make it to Macy's to look at the windows, always. Um, So Sean Gordon has a couple of stories in Bel Air, Maryland, and Crofton, Maryland. And many thanks to him because that stuff was really good. Nigel, you liked him, right? Absolutely. It was fantastic. Really Really good. All right. So now let me get to the agony in my life. And the agony in my life was the Nats last night. Um, if there was ever a game I was going to bet, and I'm not a better, you know, I'm not Chuck Todd. I don't, I, I get no thrill out of winning and I get angry when I lose. So I'm not a good person to bet and I don't bet. I have done it in my life and I stopped. I didn't need to go to rehab for it. It just, it was, it, it wasn't good for me. Everybody bets now. I mean, it's legal. Not everybody bets, but you can, if you want to bet, you can. If I was ever going to bet a game in my life, I would have bet Max Scherzer against a bullpen game from Toronto, the way Max had been pitching lately. And for the first two or three innings of that game, I would have been right, because Trey Turner had a home run. I think the Nats were up 3 nothing in the three third. 3 nothing quickly. In the third, right? Three home runs in the third. And then Max gives up a grand slam to a Vlad. no doubter. Yeah, to v- Vlad Guerrero Jr. that was just gone. He had three home runs he last night. He was not night. swinging at anything that was not a strike down the middle. Yeah, I mean, he just killed it. It's a minor league ballpark, but he killed it. It's, that's out in the major leagues, too. That's, that's not the end of the game. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the next inning is the end of the game. Harrison misplays a, a, foul, a fly ball. He's going back on it from second base. He misplays it. It gets in. It rolls, you know, the, the right fielder backs away, and then the ball kicks past him. Does it end up 5-3 then, or 6-3, or 7-3? So the game's the, over. At the end of that, it got to 5-3. The game's over no, right like, That then. actually felt like a Looney Tunes situation, because it was like a magnet was underneath the field, so, pulling the ball to the so corner. So terrible. It was so terrible. And then I started but, texting in anger. 
So to me, it goes back to the top of that ending because the, res- the response is, what are you going to do after uh, Vlad Jr. hits that grand slam? Right. And they immediately have top Kyle four. Schwarber hits a leadoff double. Yes. You get like a walk. Into the corner. You get a walk. You get- bases loaded. And they get nothing. Bases loaded. What is what is Victor Robles, the future of your franchise, going to do? Soft grounder, double play. It stinks. At least hit it hard. You know, it, it's... Look... You have a bunch of people there who you now say, and I'm not even going to get to the bullpen on this. Harrison can't field and he can't run. He got picked off first base in the first inning in the previous game, and he got thrown out stealing in this game. So he's useless. He doesn't get to second. He doesn't get to second. Josh Bell, God bless the book club. Get your head out of the book. You're batting 109. You can't hit. You can't hit. What are you doing? What is the point? You know, you come over from Pittsburgh, you cannot hit at all. Can we just stop doing the whole, but his mon- his his numbers in spring training were huge. What does that mean? It was a month ago. Yeah. He can't hit. Just praying for first pitch fastball. Completely useless at the moment. Useless. Victor Robles, he's Michael A. Taylor. He's a really good fielder. I don't know what you do I, because Soto is an okay fielder and Schwarber is less. So I don't know what you do if you put Andrew Stevenson out there or Yadiel Hernandez. I don't know because Robles is a great fielder, but he doesn't hit at all. Like he's batting ninth sometimes, not just for the gimmick reasons, but because he doesn't hit. Uh, This is is a problem. The team is a problem. They are win one, lose one. They're just, I don't know. They're right. They were supposed to win that game. If you actually look at the ERA matchup, it was closer than you think. Uh, but the reason you would have bet on this is you have the day off before. You yes, know you have the you're day rested. off after this yes, series. This is the game. This, this is lined up. You don't have Soto in the lineup, but you actually have had this this surprise gift in Hernandez. Yeah, he's who been is, great. Who came up when he's older. He's hitting the ball. If you looked at the way he hit that home run, he's leap, sort of leaning out across the plate. That was great to see. It's the professional at bats that are how you produce runs. Uh, we have to get to Dan Coco, who I, I he enjoyed. He did a good job. Uh, you're clearly nervous for the first inning. He or did two, a good but job. He had a great delivery of his pre planned sort of storybook stuff, the stuff about Vlad Jr. following his dad and both going against Scherzer. And he brings up this stat about hardest hit balls, you know, put into play that don't necessarily produce hits or runs. And half of these seem like they're Kyle Schwarber because even though the, he prepared the average for the is game. not there, he's, no, still he's, hitting, 200. he's still hitting the ball hard. And you go, okay, I can see how he could have a great match. Hey, Josh Bell's not hitting the ball. Him. Not even touching it. You know, so, yeah, Coco did a very good job. I didn't know who it was at one point. I said, who is this? You and don't I recognize told, that voice? No, I didn't. It's I interesting didn't. that the timbre of his voice in that booth sounds different than he's doing the pregame show or when he was on field. I thought he was very good. So I got, I, So now I'm angry. So I leave the game because I'm really angry. So it's about, I don't know, 9 o'clock. The game is close to over. It's about 9 o'clock. I'm it's, angry. It's still a fun series to watch for someone my age because you look at the Blue Jays and you just see the names on the back of their jerseys and, you're, and you start they're to all wonder, kids of. What, what year is it? <laughs> yeah, they're all kids of. Biggio, Bichette. Yeah, and Guerrero. Yeah. Guerrero who lost like 30 pounds or something. And now he's better. He's well, even better Coco starts been. going. He wants to be in the same conversation as Acuna Jr., Tati, Soto. I mean, and you look at what he did last night. That's yeah. Every time we play a team, one of their players becomes a cover story on MLB.com. So it's so now I go upstairs, and I do I do the thing that I do all the time, which is I start on the HBO channel, find the Godfather, and see if yeah. Then I get to the Godfather. <laughs> but last night it was Godfather Three. It was the death of Michael. I didn't want to watch it. I just mm. didn't care about it. 
But what do I land on on the Epix channel, E-P-I-X? What do I land on at about 10 after 9? Michael Clayton? No. That thing you do. <laughs> I land on it when they have begun the tour of the state fairs. When Jimmy gets involved with that washed-up singer, who's, whoever plays that role is tremendous, the singer. She's great. She's just a great acting job. And I go all the way to the end, even for the torture of Faye, and how Faye ultimately ends up with Shades. I go all the way to the end to like 9.50, 9.55. This is unlike me. And I am so happy. And I think again to myself about this movie. Now, Almost Famous is a terrific movie. And The Commitments is a terrific movie. These are rock movies. The Elton John movie, Rocket Man, is a very good movie. It's very good. The one about Freddie Mercury is a little less good, but it's still good, right? And correct me, Nigel, if I'm wrong on any of these movies. No, yeah, yeah, spot on with both of those. Yeah, good, you but know, not great, yeah. Yeah, particularly with the... Um, the but the that Mercury. thing you do is the best. It's the best rock and roll movie. The little touches of it, the little bitty touches. But like even the scene... The Ludwig drum set where Cabin they're aping Geech, the Beatles. Captain Geach in the Shrimp Shack. Yeah, and, and the guy who <laughs> plays the funny guy on, you know, in the band... I don't Steve know Zahn. his name. Steve Zahn. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he's, he's really good. And he answers questions from the radio talk show hosts about the Trim Shack shooters. And <laughs> it, the, the movie, Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks wrote it, didn't he? And directed it, didn't yes. he? Yes. I think that was his directorial debut. I'm not and sure And he about even, that. even as, a, as a nod to his old friend, Ron Howard, who directed him in Splash, the first great Tom Hanks movie. As a nod to him, he puts his brother Rance in this movie as a DJ. I mean, everything about the movie is perfect. And Tom Hanks does not dominate the movie at all. He, like, he provides the exact supporting cast role. And it's really, it's really terrific. If you, you know, if you have ever seen, if you've not, never seen it, I think you should see no, it. Am you I picked, right on You this? picked it up at a great spot. But yeah. You're also thinking about when you first meet Tom Hanks' character, when you're in the, you're in the cafe, right? And you walk into the back. And yeah, because the, the guy who owned the camper sells the contract to Tom Hanks of the band, The Wonders. You know, it's really good. Am I overpraising this one, Nigel? No. I mean, it's just, there's not a false note in the whole movie. It's just a, a delightful film. Everything about it is, is wonderful. And one other tidbit from it, the, the bloke that plays the host of the, the Hollywood television showcase, um, that's Peter Scolari. Who yes, was who, who worked with Tom Hanks in yeah, Bosom Buddies. Buddies. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, and Tom Hanks has his wife in the movie. Rita that's Wilson true. tries to pick up shades at a bar. <laughs> I, I mean, when, when you look at everybody in the movie, you say to yourself, Tom Hanks must be an even better guy than we thought he was. Because yeah. he finds something for everybody. And they're all good. They're all good. It's really... Uh, I know. I, I, the other movie that I think is a great rock and roll movie is this hasn't been on in 20 years called The Idolmaker. Oh, I just yeah. think it's great. It's a story of uh, Fabian and Frankie Avalon, and it's just a great movie. But I think this one is the best of the rock and roll movies. Better even than Almost Famous, I think. And Almost Famous is a terrific movie. Just terrific. Um, is that all I wanted to say? You don't mean to do Steinman again, do you? Oh, no, I thought we were saving that for Friday. Okay, because yeah, cause I, cause I, I, I won't do it again. Not just now. I'll just wait. <laughs> it's like something you reheat that's just so good the second time around. So we'll take a break. Peter King will join us when we return. Peter King, I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening 
to the Tony Kornheiser Show. It's officially grass growing season. And oh, this it's is, coming up like crazy. This is the Sunday read. Yeah. So this is this is new copy. They want me to riff on some common problems that you're finding with your lawn. I'm sure I'm not alone with this. I've got about a one month period where I can try and atta- attack those bare spots and try and get some grass seed in. And right now I'm doing that. And, and we've had the perfect weather for the last week. It's getting a little hot right now, but we've had those nice, cool mornings and you're really seeing the grass grow. Uh, Sunday is more than just a lawn care product, though. It's a custom lawn care plan with a variety of ways to help you grow a beautiful lawn, control weeds, and remove pests. They take out all the guesswork and unwanted chemicals so you can grow a beautiful lawn that's better for people, pets, and the planet. And what's what I'm now, what, what phase I'm that's in... That's the three Ps. I've, people, been, I've been giving it the, uh, the green smoothie, I like to call it. It's the iron boost. Yeah. And you can really see that, that green coming through. So they want me to talk about what I like most about Sunday lawn care, the ease of use. It is. You know what? Right now, it's the natural ingredients. We have a we have a contained we got DC lit, two kids, yard. And you got two kids yeah. that crawl around. They're crawling around. You don't want them eating the bushes. Yeah. If they eat the stuff, you don't want them dying. Yeah. And so they, they love just getting into the grass. My my allergies are going wild with this. Uh, and, and if you've tried Sunday add-ons, like the weed control, seeds, or pest controls, uh, they, they were easy to use as well. So right now, I'm trying to get those weeds before they turn into something larger, because that's how you're going to get those bare spots uh, when it comes to those summer months where you really just can't grow, grow anything out there. Sunday makes taking care of your lawn easier than ever. I just went to Sunday.com, put in my home address, and their free lawn analysis tool took care of the rest, all just in seconds. They even let you do a customized soil test if, if that's up your, if that's up your uh, game plan. Sunday is made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce, like seaweed, iron, and molasses, so you can grow better and feel better about it. Sunday explains exactly what you get and why, and everything is waiting at your door when you need it. All you have to do is attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray. Now, make sure when you attach the hose to the pouch, there's actually the tube that's going to deliver the ingredients. Because I was spraying, or think that I was spraying my green smoothie for a few minutes onto the lawn, and nothing was happening. And I've got... I've got this pocket of time. When so I'm you weren't attached. You, you hadn't I, attached the I, hose. The hose was attached, but the the mechanism, the straw, if you will, right. I had knocked that out. Okay. But luckily, they make it easy to see if you're paying attention. Lawn care used to take up your whole day. Now it takes just less than 15 minutes. Best of all, this stuff really works. My grass looks better than ever. Let Sunday take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com slash Tony to get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Tony. This is the Policy Genius ad. April means a lot of not-so-fun things like getting fooled, getting rained on, and getting your taxes done. So if you need a positive experience to balance it all out, consider shopping for home and auto insurance with Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you find home and auto insurance similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. Head to policygenius.com and answer a few quick questions, not trick, quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy Genius takes it from there. They will compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find your lowest rates. The Policy Genius team will look at all the ways to maximize your savings, including bundling, I love that word, bundling your home and auto policies. And if Policy Genius finds a better rate than what you're paying now, they will switch you over for free. Policy Genius can promise that you won't leave their website feeling like a fool. They've saved customers up to $1,055 per year compared to their current home and auto policies. So head to PolicyGenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. 
This is a song from a band called Zeta, Z-I-T-A, Zeta. Michael Mullins, who manages the band, says they're a five-piece rock band from New Orleans in the vein of ACDC, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, etc. So that's heavy music. This is called The Picture by Zeta. Zeta will play us in twice today. God, I love this kind of music. Not this early in the morning, kids, but there's a <laughs> point in time when I love this kind of music. Again, the band is called Zeta. The song is The Picture. You can listen to it in its entirety when I'm done talking. And they play in Peter King. Now, you know Peter King from Football Night in America on NBC and from Peter's podcast and all those years at Sports Illustrated. But what matters most to me about Peter is that he and I were at Newsday. Not together, not at the same time, but we were part of the Newsday Alumni Association, and we both got honored a couple of years ago at a very nice evening in Winston-Salem. And Peter's going to talk about football. And, and I wrote down a bunch of questions before I got to where the quarterbacks would go, which everybody cares about. But the first one is a sort of a philosophical question. When we were younger, general managers or whoever made the draft had this conflict between taking what I need on my team and taking the best athlete available. And 30 and 40 years ago, there was the notion that taking the best athlete available was the smarter way to go. I always thought that was stupid. I always thought you take what you need, but does that conflict still exist? And if it does, on which side of the line do you drop on? Well, Tony, I think, I think it, it, was, it was a slight miss in those days anyway, okay? And like when the San Francisco 49ers uh, built their great, great team, you know, they wanted, you know, on their team, they wanted a great quarterback for Bill Walsh to coach. Mm -hmm. But in the first round that year, the first pick they had, they were going to take Phil Sims if he was there. And the Giants went one. They took him one, the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. Now the Giants took him. They didn't take him one. I think they took him maybe seven. I forget. But I mean, anyway, it's first round pick. Yeah, yeah first, round, first pick. round pick. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but, but so I always thought that a team like the 49ers, they were absolutely best athlete available because they didn't pick Joe Montana till late in the third round. And obviously he became right. a starting quarterback and a great one. But, right. but I think, I think many teams, even back then, all the way to today, kind of eschew that uh, they, they say we're going to take the best player, but I think most teams take the best player at a position they really need. And they have a big need. That's what teams do almost exclusively today. Like for instance, the Miami dolphins at number six. All right. So, you know, they've got a need on the offensive line. They don't have great tackle play right now. And if Panay Sewell was there for them, and who knows, they may take him. But if they don't take him, in my opinion, it is more about them saying, we want to give our quarterback every possible option to succeed. Because if they don't take him, they're going to take one of the great pass catchers at number six. Right. And so I, th- I think most teams will say that they're going to take the best player available to them. But it's the best play almost always. It's the best player at a position of need. Okay, um, and by and large, and these things evolve. I don't know anymore. By and large, do general managers make this pick? Do coaches make this pick? If there is a conflict, 
who wins on that? Obviously, if, if there's a conflict on New England or Kansas City, a coach with Super Bowls is going to win. But by and large, who makes these picks? Well, Tony, back in the day, George Young would make the pick for the New York Giants. Bobby mm-hmm. Beathard would make the pick for yes. Washington. Uh, and, and so the general manager basically was the all-powerful poopah. And so right now, uh, you know, in the NFL, John Gruden is the one who has the power in Vegas. Um, even though I think technically, uh, contractually, uh, John Lynch may have the power in San Francisco, he is not picking a quarterback who Kyle Shanahan doesn't say, I want that guy. You know? Right. And, right. and I, think, I think most teams right now, like even with the new coach-general manager combo platters, like in, in Atlanta where they have a crucial pick at number four, you've got Terry Fontenot, a rookie general manager, Arthur Smith, a rookie head coach. And I will guarantee you that those two guys will be in lockstep because and they will agree walking in. Even though I think Fontenot has technically has the power, he is not going to make a pick unless his coach says, I want that guy. How about owners? I mean, we all know Jerry Jones, who at least played football, has an enormous influence in Dallas. But around the league, do owners get involved in this and really put their hands on it? And I'm looking at Philadelphia and wondering if he does that. And I look at Washington and wonder if he does that. How common is it? for owners to say, no, 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 this is the guy I want. You know, Tony, when, um, when the RG3 draft happened in Washington, you know, I, I believed at that time, well, geez, Shanahan, the Shanahans are going to sculpt him into a classic sort of, you, you know, uh, pro-style quarterback with movement, mm-hmm. but, you know, and that's what they're going to do. But I think – Either the next day, or I forget how the draft went that year. In back in you know ten years ago, whenever it was, it, when they picked Kirk Cousins with the hundred and second pick after picking RG three number two, my immediate thought was, this has to have been uh, the first pick had to have been very much owner centric. Now, does did Dan Snyder then or with Dwayne Haskins? put his fist down and say, we're taking this guy. Uh, I doubt it, but I think everybody in the building knew we're taking the guy that the owner wants to take. And so, you know, I think there's a fine line, but I think like, for instance, in Atlanta, I, I, I had heard about a month ago that Arthur blank really wanted to take a quarterback. He wanted to follow sort of the green Bay model that, uh, you know, they, you've always got a quarterback, you know, in the incubator, you know, right? because obviously right. the Packers go from Favre to Rodgers to Jordan Love. However, you know, I've heard since then that as somebody there told me, you know, there's no way that Arthur is going to hire these two guys in his first and in, in their first mega decision, tell them what to do. So, in my opinion, I think most GMs and coaches know what the owner wants, but I think it comes back to remember when Ozzie Newsom in 96 running his first draft with the Ravens, Art Modell said, I want Lawrence Phillips. I want to fill seats in our, you know, when what is going to be a new stadium in Baltimore, we need a superstar. And, and Ozzie Newsom wasn't sure whether he was going to get fired or not. 
but he said, we're picking Jonathan Ogden. And they picked Ogden, and obviously a Hall of Fame career uh, yes. resulted. So I, I, think, I think that mostly owners let everybody know what they want, and in most cases, the general manager does what he thinks is best for the team. Wilbon hates Ryan Pace. Hates him beyond the fact mm-hmm. that he hates the coach. He hates Ryan Pace. And Ryan yeah. Pace, now three years later or four years later, has nothing to show for Mitchell Trubisky for giving right. away draft picks. Is, is Wilbon right? Is Ryan Pace one of these guys that is terrible or is, is Wilbon just looking all, at it, the top of the ladder on them? Well, I mean, Tony, I think, and again, I've, I've definitely heard uh, Michael's opinion on this, oh, and oh. Uh, he's one of many who have that opinion. But this all stems from one decision. One yeah, decision. Trubisky. Yeah. And, and Trubisky. And, uh, and bypassing Watson and Mahomes, obviously. And, and so the bears have simply not recovered. And then they are almost cursed this year because they got the 20th pick in the draft in a very rich draft for quarterbacks when they desperately need one. But in my opinion, the reason why their quarterback conundrum is going to continue is because Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are sitting there at number 20 in the draft. And they would have to go to George McCaskey and say, in order to move up up to get one of these quarterbacks, we got to trade our one from each of the next two drafts. And nobody's going to, and George McCaskey is going to say, Hmm, let me think for a minute. I may be firing these guys. And then the next GM I hire, Oh, by the way, you don't have a first round pick for the next two years. So the bears are just kind of screwed. And as far as the criticism for Andy Dalton, listen, at some point you got to be pragmatic. Somebody's got to line up on September 13th or whatever day it is. And you got to play a season. So you better go out and get the best quarterback you can. Nobody is saying that Andy Dalton is going to lead the Bears to the Super Bowl. But at that moment in time, I think it was the best option for them to, uh, to do. You know? it's, great. it's great that Wilbon hates it. It makes me so happy. Um, all right, let me get to the, the actual draft. Trevor Lawrence is presumed to be number one. Um, you got a new coach there. You got Urban Meyer. And for all of his success in college, he's never coached in the pros. He hasn't. Do you think he wants, I assume he'll take Trevor Lawrence, but do you think he wants Trevor Lawrence? I think he badly wants Trevor Lawrence. And I think this was basically sealed when Urban Meyer was the, was working for Fox. Uh, He's very close to uh, Dabo Swinney. And he, over the last, say, two years, when he is when he really started to think about coming back to the NFL, he was doing these college football shows at Fox. He got to watch Clemson a lot. He got to know the quarterback. He got to be around him. And basically, Tony, when he uh, decided almost, I'd say a little more than a year ago, that he was seriously going to con- consider going to the NFL, I think one of his prime motivators in going to Jacksonville was knowing that if they got the first pick in the draft, they can get this quarterback that I think is going to be the second coming of Andrew Luck. Now, hopefully for him, he stays around a little bit longer than Luck did. Okay. All right. The big question on the channel that I work for, because they talk about it incessantly, is who does yeah. Kyle Shanahan take at three? 
Um, I don't know how often the sands shift on this, but who do you think he takes the three? I think he's going to take Mac Jones, but Tony, that's simply only a gut feeling. And I'll, I'll tell you this, that in 2017, in the first draft that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had together, Kyle Shanahan entering day three wanted a running back uh, from Utah named Joe Williams, who had had a checkered college career, and he was off the 49ers board. And John Lynch that, that night uh, thought about taking uh, Joe Williams off uh, the, the do not pick list. And so he thought about it very seriously. And the next day he told Kyle, okay, you can have your guy. And when I asked Lynch about that, he said, when you're in a partnership with a coach and something is really important to him, you want to make sure that if he defends his case very well, you want to make sure he's able to get his guy. That's why I think like for a while, you know, you ask people who really know Kyle Shanahan well, like Chris Sims, and he's thought all along he's taken Mac Jones. And in my opinion, at the end of the day, it might not be unanimous inside the 49ers, but I think that John Lynch would probably go with the guy who Shanahan wants the most. I can't swear that he wants Mac Jones the most, but that is my gut feeling. Well, that opens up two questions. And these are the other two most important questions to a casual football fan. Where does Jimmy Garoppolo go, and is New England the place that he lands? See, I think what's interesting about New England now is that they sit there with the 46th pick, and they're going to have their choice of a pretty good quarterback in the second wave. And that is somebody like Kyle Trask of Florida, Mm-hmm. who had a very, very good year last year after being sort of injury-haunted early in his career at Florida. And, 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 and I believe that the 49ers, if Garoppolo could fix his contract so it wouldn't be so sort of you know, onerous mm-hmm. on, the, uh, you know, on the acquiring team, on the Patriots, if he'd do something with his contract, I wouldn't be surprised, and I wrote this week, I wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers consider uh, allowing uh, Garoppolo to move on if they can get a decent second-round pick for him. Now, in my opinion, I'm not a big fan of this. I think Kyle Shanahan should keep him for one more year until they absolutely know that the quarterback they draft is their guy, but I do think they're going to be listening to some offers uh, this weekend. Peter, this is a great pleasure for me. Plug your podcast so everybody listening to this can know where to listen to you. Oh, thanks, Tony. It's the Peter King podcast, aptly named. And uh, this week, I justify my very stinky mock draft. So okay, that's make great. Sure you go get it where, you, where your podcast, you get your podcast. But thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Talk soon, I hope. Thank you. Take care, Tony. Peter King, boys and girls, he's great. He's great. Um, we are very fortunate in having people who occasionally drop in who are great, like Peter King and Jay Billis. We don't ask them a lot. Uh, you know, we have regulars who are also great. Nobody's better than Lock and Fora. Nobody. But every once in a while to get Peter, to get Jay, it's, uh, it's quite nice. I'd like to get Costas, Bob Costas. I'd like to get him. I think I can do that. We will take a break. When we come back, we have a news segment with Leon and with Tori. I am Tony Kornheiser. 
You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the spoonful of comfort ad. I once again dipped into the soups last night, and I had the chicken soup, and it was delicious. Mother's Day. This is tied into Mother's Day. Oh, dipped in. I see now. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mother's Day is right around the corner. Treat your mom, wife, or anyone special with a gourmet soup basket from Spoonful of Comfort. It's like sending a warm hug. So Lizza got these. Um, when Lizza's father passed away, somebody sent him Spoonful of Comfort, and he raved about it. I- I'm telling you, it, it the packaging is beautiful. More importantly than the packaging, the, the soups, the rolls, the cookies, they're wonderful. They're really good. It's, it's really good. Uh, you can see their entire selection of Mother Day, Mother's Day gift baskets at SpoonfulOfComfort.com. So we got the two soups here that we got were um, spring vegetable, have a little bit of that left, and the chicken noodle soup. They were really good, really good. Have you had any of these, Michael? I have not. We, <clears throat> we had the cookies at our house, and I know Mom's been enjoying the yeah. dinner rolls. Yeah, no, she loved the dinner rolls. There were two. No, uh, I was giving you that look because chicken, that chicken soup, that's a, you know, that's a bar setter. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... I'm a chicken soup person. If I like the chicken soup, that's meaningful. And, you know, because I, I long ago, I've stopped. It, it's not that Campbell's Chunky Chicken Soup isn't good, but, you know, this is, this is better. It's the perfect Mother's Day gift. Send a care package from Spoonful of Comfort. Mom will get a complete meal with soup, rolls, and cookies. It's a meal she doesn't have to cook. Spoonful is something unique, different, and easy, easy, easy. They gift wrap, including custom note card with your message to mom and deliver right to her door guaranteed. So you can do that, and you can get 10% off if you use the code PODCAST10. That's not personal to me, but if you use the po- code PODCAST10, you can get 10% off. The, the spoonful of comfort, and I have a letter here from the founder, and I'm going to talk about it at some time in the future because we're going to do this ad, but spoonful of comfort was inspired by the founder's own mom, so she gets it, and it's a small business. It's always nice to, always nice to support small businesses. Spoonful of comfort dot com and use the code you're listening to the tony kornheiser show the tony kornheiser show once again this is zeta this is a five-piece rock band from new orleans this is heavy duty rock and roll does sound a lot like led zeppelin and aerosmith and acdc this is called the wife by zeta thank you to michael mullins for managing the band and sending this in And you can hear Zeta in their entirety and the song in its entirety at the end of the podcast without me tracking over it. Michael, if people want to send in their original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. Okay, so now we're going to do news where Nigel gets a chance to keep his job by moving it along. (laughs) And Leon Harris is joining us and Tori Clark is joining us. And I watched Leon the other night. We got to get, we got to get, just let me just ask Leon this question. Now that you're a sportscaster again, um, how's that working out? Are you are you enjoying when the segment comes up, when the sports comes up, and it's your turn to do it? Are you enjoying it? Yes and no. I, I do enjoy it, man, because I actually know the I know the stories uh, and I know the right. teams and I know the stuff. So it, for me, it's actually fun because it's the kind of thing I'd be talking about in the in the hallway anyway. Uh, right. But at the same time, I know people like you are watching to see if I'm going to flub it or not. And, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's incongruous to see a news guy all of a sudden start talking sports. And there's this fine line between trying to sound like a sports guy or just trying to sound like a guy who just, talk, just happens to be talking about sports. Well, I think you're doing very well with it. And I know it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit hard because it's thrown at people and they don't give you like the normal time to prepare. So I think you're doing well. All right, Nigel, run the show. 
All right. Thank you, Mr. Tony. Some good news on uh, the pandemic front. This past Tuesday, uh, federal, federal health officials said that fully vaccinated people can go without masks outdoors when walking, jogging or biking or dining with friends at outdoor restaurants. So that is a huge, huge development for folks. So how do you guys feel about that? How do you the, I, the last couple of nights when I have walked the dog, I have indeed I have a mask in my pocket, but I have not worn it and I had worn it mm -hmm. for close to a year and i'm pretty cautious about this but how do you guys feel about it exactly the same phantom daughter and i went out for a peloton walk late yesterday we had our mask with us but mm -hmm. we didn't wear them it was great yeah I, you know i don't mind wearing a mask every day uh, I, as a matter of fact with the pollen out it's actually that's given me an excuse to wear one uh, and you know to keep myself from, from being killed by the, the allergy stuff but right. the, the thing that occurred to me the most uh, was, you know, they really took their time in making that call. And for all the folks out there who were hesitant about taking the vaccine because they said everything was being rushed, it, it struck me that, no, here's a case where they actually did follow the science. They waited until the evidence showed, okay, fine, we've got proof that this is a really safe thing to do, so now we'll advise people it's okay to do. So to me, it kind of felt like it, it was like the perfect signal to, to tell those folks who are still sitting on the fence about taking the vaccines and that the, the, the whole process is being rushed. This is proof that it, it really isn't being rushed. So what, what occurred to me, and I've, I've seen things change, you know, at the beginning it was don't wear the mask, then it was wear the mask all the time, everywhere. Now it's don't wear the mask outside if you're vaccinated. And science, science may be, science may be an absolute, but you have to discover it. You know, it doesn't right. reveal itself if you don't do the work, if you don't check the numbers, if you don't see the trends. When people say follow the science, they say, well, what's the science? Well, it, <laughs> you got to figure it out, right? I mean, there's this notion yeah, but, that, yeah. that, yeah, it yeah, changes. Well, smart people figure it out. And, and but the smart people are the ones who say, based upon what we know now. Yes. And, and, that's, and that's what you have to trust in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, to Leon's point about time, it, take, it takes time to really understand something in a truly scientific way. It takes time and takes massive amounts of data. I think Leon's absolutely right. When I hear one of these public officials say, based on what we know now, I go, okay, that person's being honest and giving us their best recommendation based on what they know now. And we'll, smart people have to be willing to say things might change. Yeah, and by, yeah, by the way, that doesn't mean it won't change in three months. It doesn't. Right. But so, I mean, doesn't right. make Mr. Tony feel any more comfortable about coming out of the attic. Well, I don't know about coming out of the attic, but, you know, doing walks and stuff like that, because I still, you know, I still want to know that the people I work with and the people who I interact with are vaccinated. And, and yeah. we are, let's be fair, we are the, the guinea pigs in all of this. 20 years from now, they're going to be able to explain what happened. But in the moment, we're not sure. You know, I went and got well, vaccinated as was, soon as I was eligible. Sure. But that well, doesn't all mean. All have to do is look at what's happening in India. If you want yeah. to have any 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 second yeah. thoughts or second guesses about the, the way the process has been played out here and the the, the the guidance we've been getting from the from the Fauci's and the other experts who who aren't telling you to drink bleach, you know, and put lights inside your body, all you got to do is look and see what's <laughs> happening over there uh, and realize that you know what uh, we're actually we, it seems like we're handling it. We, we got experts now that seem to be really competent and they seem to have our best interests at heart. I agree, Nigel. Yeah. Missing one, missing one thing about yeah. math. Yes, yeah, sure, I'm sure. Sorry. So Leon wants to keep wearing his to keep the pollen down, which I totally understand. I swear mm. to God, I look in the mirror every morning and go, wow, I really should have had that plastic surgery done years ago. <laughs> and so wearing a mask, wearing a mask and a baseball cap, I kind of go, this is okay. This yeah. is okay. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, okay. Go ahead. 
Mr. Tony, the Oscars, not really a, a, a raging success this year, the 93rd Academy Awards. Um, initial numbers showed, uh, the overnight numbers, should it be 9.85 million viewers? An updated version of that shows was actually 10.4 million viewers um, and a 2.1 rating among adults, 18 to 49. This is a massive drop, the worst ratings they've ever had for the Oscars ceremonies um, and a drop off, I think, about 23 million last year. So um, just about 50, 55, 58 percent drop off from uh, the year before. And, and now- last year had terrible ratings. They yes. were terrible. Yes. So yes. L- l- to try to give context to this, <clears throat> Leon and I would kill to have a million people watch us. <laughs> It'd be great. You know we would kill for a million people. OK. Yeah. So when you get 10.4 million viewers, you think, wow, that's fantastic. And it is. But the Oscars is one of those shows that every year it's like for entertainment, it's the Super Bowl. They've gotten 30 and 40 million people routinely to watch them. This show stunk. I could not. It was a bad television show. Not only did you not know any of the movies because nobody had been to the theaters to see any of these movies, Mm -hmm. but... There was no host. It, there was no continuity to it. It just, it just sort of lay there. And it's unlike the Grammys, there's no entertainment. That's you know, true, there's no yeah. music. Or, or and unlike the Tonys, they don't give you a big production number. So I got off this show very early and thought it would be a disaster. But, Leon, you know numbers. This is a disaster rating. I know. Think about this in context. Isn't it weird? It, it would be like the Olympics getting a billion. <laughs> you know, you'd say... That, that number would be something that would be astronomical for for most right. other 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 productions, but that's not that that's not their standard. Their standard is a lot higher than that. Yeah, but again, what's the common denominator between the two years where it was, where the numbers really happened? That it's been pandemic. the pandemic and the lockdown and the fact that people aren't being yes. able to go out and see these movies. Uh, and there's yes. really not, there's and that's just it. And the thing is, there's no real like sense that everybody has seen at least one of the movies, and you've and you've got a rooting interest in any of them in this one particular movie. That's the kind of thing. It's it's sort of like a horse race that everybody gets gets into every single year with the Oscars, and we've been denied that the last two years. And, and no just, entertainment is a really good point. Maybe they should have yeah. led with Glenn Close doing the butt. I don't know. Yeah, that would have been fun. She certainly got a lot of play the next day. Um, Tori, did you watch it? I watched a little bit of it and wasn't that interested. I tried to slog my way through Nomadland, and I love Frances McDormand. But but here's a question. Do those numbers, when you got UTV people talk to those numbers, do those include global audiences? I don't. I don't think so. I think that's the national number in the in uh, the United yeah, States. that's the U.S. Okay. number. That's right. Just U.S. Yeah, numbers. China really cracked down hard this year on the Oscars specifically, and cracked down on coverage of the Oscars and the director of Nomadland because she said something eight years ago they didn't like. I just wonder if that was really. Happening. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. What else? And by, and by the way, just to give you context, you talk about, you know, they used to draw a big number. 2014, yeah. which was sort of the last high point, uh, 43.7 million it's, people. So wow. But this is a, a quarter huge. of that. Yeah. It's I down see. 75% yeah. from that. Yes. You know so. what? When you're down 75% in television, you know what happens the next day? You're not in television. That's right. That's it. You're not There's there. always okay. TikTok, Tony. There's always TikTok. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right. Go ahead, uh, Mr. Tony, the uh, the odds are out for the uh, Kentucky Derby, which will be this Saturday. I believe race time is at 6.57. Um, 
the favorite for this, uh, coming in at odds of two to one, Essential Quality, running at the 14th spot. Rock Your World is uh, next at five to one in the 15th spot. And then Known Agenda in the first slot at six to one. And then Hot Rod Charlie at eight to one. A couple of long shots that you might be interested in, uh, both 50 to one. Ted's Head and Balding Jordan Spieth, both at 50 to one for Fantastic. Tori, this is yours. What, horses, yeah, go ahead. No- what do you think? I know next to nothing about this crop. I really don't. Pandemic and everything else just haven't paid that much attention. Um, essential quality looks looks like the winner. There's this whole thing with the gates. I don't know if you guys understand. You know, the, the Kentucky Derby field is always much bigger than most races. And so in years past, they'd have the regular gate that held 14 horses. And then you'd have this kind of supplementary gate. And if you were in that one, you were really screwed But on, in an outside post position. But in this case, they have a new gate that supposedly makes it better for the horses that are further out. But I have no clue. Absolutely no clue. So I got this information yesterday that that only twice in the history of the Kentucky Derby has a horse won from number 14 because it is so far outside. And the last time, I think, was in the 1960s. I sort of like you, and I don't know if, Leon, you feel the same way. Sometimes with the Kentucky Derby, there's a drumbeat, and I hear it. And, and, you know, somebody says, well, who won the Wood Stakes? And who won the Santa Anita Derby? And you sort of get carried along to the Derby. This year, nothing, zero. It's, not, it's always the first Saturday in May, but that also happens to be the first day of May. And l- earlier this week, when somebody talked about the Derby, I just, and I'm in the sports business, I know nothing about it. Leon, do you yeah. feel the same? I just know, and I like to watch it. I do, I watch every year. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I watch it every year, and I'm, I, I'm a complete, you know, idiot when it comes to this sort of stuff i'm, I'm just like just like i like to listen to see who every who the, the experts think is going to win i didn't watch all of them be wrong you know it's like, yeah. watch, like, like, like watching espn every morning when they're talking about how great the cowboys are going to be yeah <laughs> and it never happens so I, but my thing is i don't really get interested in really interested in, in the horse racing until after the dirt because i'm like like most of us you know, those who are uh, uninformed about the sport, we want to see if there is going to be a triple crown winner. So it's like, wait until you see who wins this one before I really get fired up about it. And what happened last year hurt this year's Derby because last year the Preakness ran first and then yeah, the Belmont yeah. Derby ran. Whatever, whatever it was, it was totally out of order. It was in the fall. It was it, it, it ruined it for this year. You don't even know what happened yeah. last year. Can I ask right? you this, Tori? Uh, my question is, if there's no crowd there, doesn't that affect the horses? I mean, they're athletes. Well, right? it affects them. Like- I think actually, I think this year they're going to get. They're they're saying forty five thousand will be allowed into Churchill Downs. Oh, that- but oh wow! If there's wow. a smaller crowd, it's better for the horses. Ninety nine oh, really? times out of hundred, these young horses race on tracks with maybe six drunks in the stands. Right? It's not a big <laughs> crowd event anymore. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they show up for the biggest race of their lives, and there are a hundred thousand screaming drunks in the stands, and there's music in their band. That can blow their minds. So the, wow. the fewer people in the stands might take away from some some aspects of it, but it's better for the horses. So it's like okay, a what else? Horse, like a secretariat that gets fired up by being in front of that that many people. Right, right. Secretariat was like secretariat was like Bette Midler, you know, saw the crowd and said, "Let's go, let's go." All right, secretariat, come on. All right. What else? Well, the horses may be running in the Kentucky Derby this year, but they will not be uh, swimming off Chincoteague Island this summer for the second year in a row. The annual wild pony swim at Chincoteague Island on Virginia's eastern shore has been canceled because of the pandemic. Uh, I don't understand that. The horses, I don't understand that. And plus, and I know that Tori can speak to this, but 
All of these ponies that were looking to get scholarships to college, they have no way to get in there. No, Tori, why are they cancel well, this? Well, it's hard to swim with a mask on, and they weren't aware that the mask mandate was being lifted. I think it's yeah. because it draws massive crowds. I don't know if, what, if Nigel's story was said, but that event, I've never been, but it's famous. Anybody in the horse world, anybody who grew up loving horses, every little girl loved horses knows about Misty of Shinkatik. This is a huge deal. It's a big money maker for the volunteer firemen there. So for them to cancel it a second time in a row, and, and it because it's out, it's it's kind of a crazy scene with people all around it. I think it'd be hard to control the crowds, very hard to keep people distant. So I guess yeah, okay. discretion being the better part of it. We have a video of it every year, and it's like 40,000, 50,000 people that go down there for that. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, to, to your point, uh, Tori, it annually raises roughly $750,000. Um, and they said with crowd restrictions and the idea that they had to, to lay all this money out to, to set things up and then being afraid that they might have right. to eventually cancel it, they said it just they just could not push the pull the trigger on that. So they said, no, Too we'll bad. just have to cancel it one more time. So okay. very right, sad. Else? Very they sad. They can redshirt those ponies, Tony. Don't worry. They can I hope so. <laughs> they get another, another year of eligibility. I hope so. Yeah. Well, his, the transfer yeah. portal. Yeah, <laughs> and get recruited by Turgeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on Monday, Mr. Tony, um, at JFK Airport, a man uh, was caught allegedly trying to smuggle in 35 live finches from Guyana, stuffed inside plastic hair, hair curlers and concealed inside his clothes. Now, you may be thinking, well, is there some sort of secondary market for finches in the United States? Well, it turns out that this latest alleged would-be songbird smuggler, uh, it was all part of something that this is quote-unquote used in high-stakes singing contests popular in Brooklyn and Queens. And apparently there are Guyanese immigrants who gather in, um, in the Eastern District of New York um, and gather to have competitions with finches. They put them in cages, one next to each other, and they count the chirps that a bird will make, and the first one to get 50 wins. And apparently, you know, fortunes are won and lost in the course of these betting events. I'm, I'm not sure you'd ever heard of this. Wait, I certainly have not. I've never heard of it. So wait, let, let me ask the, the obvious questions here. Okay. They, they smuggle in finches. How do, do they get them to chirp artificially? Are they injected with something? Is there some... <laughs> Reward. How do they know what finches will sing and what finches won't sing? What idiot bets on the number three finch and then gives you a reason? How would you know? I'm not saying it's not fun. I'm just saying, how would you know? And how does it work? Well, maybe they've got like maybe they've got like an AAU circuit down in, in Guyana where you know they they got scouts that are down there like you know in the clubs at night listening to see who's got the best game and uh, you know they find a way to stick them here in hair curlers. I would love it to see Channel 4 do a story on this. I'd love to see this because I'd, I'd like to know how you bet on it. And, of course, and it's so sick what I'm going to say, but it, it, it reminds me of, you know, the Christopher Walken scene in the Vietnam movie. Of course it does. <laughs> With the watch. Of course, of course right. it hey, does. Yes. It, you know reminded me, it reminded me of the, of the Jerry Seinfeld episode where they're cockfighting on top of the grocery <laughs> right. store. Little Jerry oh, Seinfeld. They're doing it at 3 yeah. o'clock in the morning. But how, I mean, so you, you just, are they just, when, are they just stealing finches? Are they going to the finch tree somewhere and stealing them and then bringing them into the, I don't, I can't imagine how you could make an intelligent bet on this. How are you not going to get busted when you bring in a bunch of singers taped to your body? Yeah, Maybe and the hair dancers, curlers. But yeah. you bring in a bunch of animals that are known for singing, you think you're not going to get busted? 
Well, you just, you just, you're on the lawn. You I, say, now just keep quiet. Just keep quiet for a little while longer. Please be quiet. Birds. Apparently, one How big are they? Are finches tiny? Oh, yeah, are they tiny? tiny? Yeah, very tiny. Very tiny. Well, if they lose, do they get eaten? No, I don't think they're eaten. Up at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I think they just, they live to fight another day. You know, hopefully the next week at the competition, which by the way, takes place uh, at Phil Rizzuto Park. So hopefully Scooter is up there, you know, looking down on this and, and very pleased. Well, wait, at- wait, 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 wait. So they, it, the, these competitions are not held in the basement somewhere that nobody can see. They're held out in the open. Yes, Phil Rizzuto Park in Richmond Hill. About 60 men, mostly Guyanese immigrants, uh, gather to these. And I said they, they have the finches in, in, or the birds in cages, separate wooden cages, and they right. hang them next to each other, and then they just count the chirps. First one to 50 wins. I think you two TV guys are missing a big opportunity here. There could be a reality show, a competition called The Chirp. And the bird who wins gets to stay and gets to live in the park, and the others have to go back. And there could be a little flight of shame, you know, when the bachelor one gets thrown off and they have to walk to the limo. I sort of I like that idea. I just keep coming back to the to the question of how do you know which one to bet? What is the scouting report on these finches? How would you know? I think Just Mel Kuyper's got a, got a scouting service down Let's there. Let's get Mel, yeah, with a mock draft. All right, this has been great. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Thank you. Thank Have you, Leon. Day. Thank you to Tori. Uh, we will take a break. We will come back with email and a jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a solo stove ad. I, I actually did think about this the other day, that, that I'd, I'd love to... Like, I'd love to sit around a solo stove. I don't have the solo stove. I'd like to sit around the solo stove. When I saw the people, as I was walking the dog and I saw the cardboard cartons, you know, that said solo stove, it made me not nostalgic because I've never seen it, but eager to see them. Um, life's best moments happen around a roaring fire and a smokeless fire pit from solo stove makes your fireside moments even more memorable. Because instead of having to constantly dodge campfire fumes, you can sit back, relax, and actually enjoy the fire. You've been involved with this, Michael. The, oh, yeah. The smoke is not overwhelming. No, it's the design. It just sends it straight up. It's very little smoke, easy to light, very efficient. Yeah. Here's one more reason to love spring. Solo Stove is offering a free fire pit stand with the purchase of any smokeless fire pit during their spring sale. You can make the most of the season and get the most out of your new smokeless fire pit. It is a win-win. Stainless steel construction designed to regulate airflow and burn more efficiently. So little smoke, as Michael says, you wonder how there's so much fire. No better way to enjoy Brood X. Yeah. It's, it's, what is Brood X? <laughs> the cicadas. The cicadas. Oh, is that, yeah, just is sit that outside, enjoy the fire, listen to the sounds of yeah. the cicadas. Yeah, because that's the soundtrack of your life in Washington, D.C., the cicadas. It's easy to keep lit. It's even easier to clean. A few bits of starter and your fire is blazing in minutes. Just a few minutes. bits. Buy a fire pit during their spring sale. Get a free stand, making your solo stove even more versatile. They're so confident you'll love it. They offer a lifetime warranty and a 30-day free return policy. Make this spring one to remember with a smokeless fire pit from Solo Stove and get a free stand with any purchase of a fire pit. Free stand, people. Just use the promo code TONYK at checkout. That is solostove.com, S-O-L-O, stove.com, promo code TONYK, and use the code. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
That's thrilling to me. That's the actual University of Missouri marching band doing that song. Just wonderful. Uh, Nigel, Bethesda Bagel Ad. Go ahead. Thank you, Mr. Tony. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in. You'll be thrilled as we were today when we got the bagel sandwiches. Always a banner day when we get those. So go buy. Love it. Uh, That's just about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play? Dear Prudence, greet the brand new day. Sun is up. The sky is blue. It's beautiful. And so are you. Dear Prudence, won't you come out to play? Thanks to our guest today, Peter King. He's got a podcast you can listen to it. Leon Harris, Tori Clark. Thanks to our sponsors today, Solo Stove, Sunday, Spoonful of Comfort, Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Records, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, rather, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through iTunes, please leave us a review. From Al Cohen, Friday, April 30th is Karen's birthday. Happy birthday to a lady of many talents who always recognized me and knew what my order would be. She made chatter my cheers. I hope she's enjoying her next phase. Maybe it will include the beach house she frequently told me about. Best wishes from an appreciative Chatter alumnus. Karen was wonderful. Yes. Karen was there with us every single day. From Matt Zabrowski from Brooklyn. I was really moved by Tony's stories about growing up with Jimmy Steinman. It brought back so many memories of playing in his band. It was back in 2005 that I got called to play drums for a new project of Jim's called The Dream Engine. It was an incredible group of people. Adrian Warren, who later played Tina Turner on Broadway. Rob Evan, Alex Skolnick. Steve Margoshis, who wrote um, Fame, Adam Ben David, and others. It was a big band, two nine-foot grand pianos on stage. Jim was trying to create a follow-up to meet. He had some great new songs, and he thought this was going to be the band that would break them. We played some shows in New York City and a casino hit in Connecticut. Spent a couple of weeks in the studio. It never got a break, but I'll never forget working with Jim and his producer, Steve Rinkoff. Memories like late blackjack games when the whole band took over a table. I ran out of money. Steve slipped me 100 The time we went to Baldassar after a show and Jim ordered everything on the menu, literally. The time we played Total Eclipse of the Heart with Bonnie Tyler. The time I was at his apartment in the Trump Tower and all he had in his closet were about 15 of those black leather jackets he always wore. It was a great time. It created priceless relationships and memories that I'll always have. Jim was always really nice to me, always willing to answer emails about the music and what and was being interested in what I was doing. The experience changed my life. I'll always be grateful to him and his music. That's really nice. From Sarah Beth Holden. As you talk about Jim Steinman, I realized how much his work has been a part of my life. My dad took me to see Meatloaf in St. John, New Brunswick when I was 11 years old. Bat Out of Hell was my favorite cassette tape at the time. It was such a great memory that when I was nine months pregnant a few years ago and my dad came to spend Christmas with us in Toronto, we went to see Bat Out of Hell the musical. While the dramatic music didn't convince the baby it was time to make his own way into the world just yet, he did move so much that I couldn't sit down for much of the show. In between these two events, the man to whom I'm related by marriage curated a playlist for our wedding. While Total Eclipse of the Heart wasn't intended to have a spotlight on the day, we celebrated our nuptials It Stole the Evening. One of my favorite photos with so many of our friends and family will always get that song stuck in my head as I remember everyone singing along and dancing. Thanks for sharing your memories of Jim Steinman. It spurred some nice memories in the midst of this mess we're living here in in Toronto. Normally, I love to refer to our city as the jewel of the Midwest, but golf courses are closed. I'm living vicariously through your partial rounds, and I hope it warms up for you soon. Six pars yesterday. Played 16 holes. That's six pars. Thanks for asking. It's great to see that Steinman had this effect. It's wild that he played in St. John in, in New Brunswick. Good for him. Good for him. From Alejandro Rosenberg in Northwest Washington, D.C., Mr. Rabato or Mr. Tony. 
When dining at the robot host restaurant, if one wants a primo table, or better yet, to get a table with no reservation, does one need to bring actual grease to grease the robot host? <laughs> How does one fold up the WD-40 into one's palm to make the payoff inconspicuous? The Goodfellas restaurant entrance scene is going to look a lot different in the inevitable remake. Yours in sentience, Alejandro Rosenberg. From Ron Walker in Westerville, Ohio, Dear Dr. Tony, how long until we pay our robot waiters with a high five? From Mike in Chantilly, no sooner had I finished listening to Friday's show. When I flipped around, I picked up The Godfather on Showtime around noon. Michael walked out of the toilet and shot Salazzo and McCluskey at Louis, dropped the gun, walked out, and was off to Sicily. It's on right now. Apollonia just walked by, and Michael is thunderstruck. It's always on, and it never gets old. P.S. Tatalia is a pimp. <laughs> Nick in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I know where that is. Any truth to the rumor that before the Bobcat attack, he said, take the gun, leave the brownies. From Chris Mullen, but not that Chris Mullen. Um, well, Doc, did you know I was a doctor too? Oh, he says, I'd like to read you the following in the manner of a winning NASCAR driver in Victory Lane being interviewed by Dr. Jerry Punch. Dr. Punch, nice run, champ. Tell us how you got here. Well, Doc, did you know I was a doctor too? Hoffwaff's the name. Anyway, the Michelob Ultra Subaru was real fast today. I'd like to thank my other sponsors, L.L. Bean, for the articulated knee pants that helped my pit crew with the super fast tire chains, Johnny O and MeUndies for my uniform in Brooklyn and for the bedding in the old motor coach I slept in last night. It was close at the end. Glad the old Indochino measuring system at the frame bridge Photo finish. Proved I came out on top. Thanks to my competitors who raced me clean, except for the Harry's close shave moment on lap 162. Finally, thanks to the fans who bought their ticket on SeatGeek. We appreciate your support. From Adam Benson in St. John's in Newfoundland in Canada. You said on Friday show that if D.C. became a state, it would need its own flower. I assume that flower would be the orchid. That's really good. That's really good. Um, Tony Mercogliano. Thanks for explaining the origin of Uncle Benny's Table for us newbies on a recent podcast. Here's another. Could you explain the origin of nicknames of your grandchildren and also their given names? Their given names are Walker and Henry. When I was told Walker, I just went, oof, I don't know. Let's hey, give you this- sure about that? It's an ER name. Yeah, let's just <laughs> give this child another name. And Bootsy seemed like a really good name. Baby boy Bootsy seemed good to me. And I had an Uncle Boots. Not Uncle Benny, but my Uncle Bernard was Uncle Boots. And that's how that happened. The hammer is just obvious for Henry. And plus, he's a thick kid. You know, he's ready to go. Again, about an he's hour a after center, he was born, a center. I call you to, to, to congratulate you on your birthday, which also happens to be his Amber's birthday. birthday. Yeah. I, I share, we, we're so happy to welcome Henry Philip Kornheiser. And you pause and you go, Philip, that's your name. Yeah, that's your middle name. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Yep, so that's what I deal with. They wanted to have, I wanted to give them other names. And to be fair, Bootsy and the Hammers sound really great. I mean, nobody else uses those. They're Walker and Henry. So what can I tell you? Uh, Jeremiah from Colorado Springs. Tom Gilroy from Evanston, Illinois is loud wrong about Volvo being more pretentious than Subaru. Sure, Volvo owners take pride in their safety of their vehicles, but as a community, they don't concern themselves with whether their hemp pants are fair trade and gluten-free the way Subaru owners do. Oh, do you own an Outback? Did it come with one or two kayak racks that you'll never use? I love the anger. I love that kind of anger. It's just so perfect for Evanston, too. <laughs> you know, from Reed. You mentioned on Friday's show that Larry Brown was not a WAF, and in doing so, awaken the memory of the only other little I've had the opportunity to meet in person. Three years ago, <coughs> excuse me, this pollen is killing me, and I don't have allergies. Three years ago, I was in the midst of one of my summer internship programs, chatting with coworkers over lunch. Vaguely, one of them referenced a person in our shared university's hall of fame. Unimpressed, I sniffed and muttered, Hoff, but no WAF. My future friend paused suddenly, his eyes raising to mine, 
Do you watch the Tony Kornheiser show? Shocked, I rose to my feet, shouting, you're little. And we ran and embraced to the shock of our coworkers and later our own shame and dismay. Yes, it was embarrassing. Yes, it was worth it. Though separated by hundreds of miles, we still text regularly about the funny bits from the show. His name is Will Harrison, and he sent you a headlamp after your fall a few years ago. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? And from Brian in Raleigh, my birthday is coming up on Thursday. That's tomorrow. And I need your number so I can call you, or better yet, we can connect over Zoom or WebEx. Oh, yeah. WebEx. I can have my daughter tell you how she won the family March Madness Bracket Challenge. On a serious note, I'm retiring from the Air Force next month after 27 years of service. I watched the sports reporters before I joined, and I've been watching PTI from the beginning. That is the one show I watch every day. Luckily, the Armed Forces Network carried it when I was stationed at the Kunsan Air Base in Korea. Thank you for the many years of joy and laughter. P.S. Turkey sandwich, chips, and a cookie for dessert. Brian and Rowley, thank you. 27, 27 years of service. Thank you very much. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. But we don't have the chaputzfa to do it.